0: All right here we go. All right, welcome to the Disco Rockstar Podcast. All right, episode thirty-seven. Here's man, You know what? I have, I guess, just like everybody, I have this love-hate relationship with social media. There's so much I just despise. You know, when when you when you look at the research at um, the damage it does in the lives of kids and the anxiety it creates and if you dig into that, man, it, it. I just I hate it, but at the same time, it, there's so much good out there on social media. And today's episode is a great example of that. You know, just the ability to connect with like-minded, passionate people who are into teaching and education and making a difference in the lives of kids. And that's what this episode is all about. Uh, this is John Conan. I love this guy. He is an award-winning teacher, award-winning principal. He's up in Great Falls, Montana. We connected online on uh Facebook and Twitter, and just the stuff that he shares and the stuff that I share I mean you know I mean listen those, those articles he published like like the it sounds like something I wrote, the stuff that I post it sounds like something he wrote. We are just aligned in how we in in how we think and what we believe is the right thing to do for teachers and kids. And education. So I had to have him on the show. So here we go. Let's kick it off. This is a great conversation on a Friday night, and uh, he's in his house. I'm in my house, and uh, you can hear dogs barking in the background. And I had a great time talking with this guy, John Conan. Here we go. I'm going to kick it off, man. I have. uh... Start with the Montana story. Are you ready? Yeah. This is my only Montana story. Just so we're clear, is uh, so I had a I was you know when I was teaching man my last ten years of teaching I was uh, I've taught everything K through twelve but my last ten years was 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 all out of high school and I ran leadership and mentoring programs and one one of the programs I had was called Pals and what it was it was all seniors in high school. And what we would do is we would go to elementary schools in our feeder pattern, and my pals, my senior pals at the high school they we would we would we would pal them up with a kid who needed a friend at the elementary so each day you know the class met on the bus, and we would take the bus to 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 whatever elementary on that day, and we'd pal them up anyway so i had i mean I had amazing kids and So many kids would apply for this gig, and um, all right. So here's my 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 Montana story. So I had had a kid who graduated, went to college. His name was Will, and Will went to college, and you know he's a good kid, man. He is um, not an academic all star, just a good kid that makes good grades. Played on, you know, played sports, played baseball. He was in PALS. He was in the leadership stuff, and um, he goes and he just hates college, like hates it. And, uh, and of course everybody in his family went to college, but he is miserable. And he calls me his uh, freshman year at the end of his freshman year. And he's like, man, I hate this place. It's not the people I like the people. I just hate classes. I hate studying. I hate everything about it. So I said, brother, like you've got it. Like he was majoring in business. I was like, you got to find your passion. Like whatever that is, like, don't take classes. Cause that's what people want you to take. Don't, don't, like, don't sign up for that major. Sign, like find out what you think about what you really love to do and go do that he says okay and then so he calls me in the middle of the summer and he says bowman man i'm in montana i go really what are you doing in montana he goes that talk that you had with me that that night in college i got so excited and i took your recommendation i took your suggestion i immediately packed up all my stuff and left college and went to montana i said man that is not what i told you (laughs) <laughs> I did not tell you to leave college, brother. <laughs> and, and anyway, so he went to Montana because, like, his passion was nature and being outdoors and all that stuff. And here we are, like, ten years later, man. And this kid, he's now he's he lives in Yellowstone and he is a paramedic, firefighter kind of guy. He flies on helicopters, saving people's lives. And like his Instagram it looks like it is. isn't it looks something like something out of the national geographic, but that's like his daily life, you know, catching fish and ice fishing and skiing with his daughter and his beautiful wife. And man, what, what, like, what an amazing life this kid ended up with.
1: You know, we're only half an hour to 40 minutes away from one of the top, uh, trout fishing rivers in, in North America, which is awesome. Yeah. And, We have mountains on all sides of us, well, three sides of us here in the Great Falls. If you can put up with the wind, man, we have, everything outdoors that you want to do right here. Even in our own little town of Great Falls, we have the Missouri river that runs through here. And uh, my passion other than teaching is water skiing. And so we'll get off work and be on the river water skiing within, you know, 20 minutes of of getting done with work. And uh, that's one of my releases. I think people make fun of me because I do it so often, but Holy cow, if I don't have something else to do besides putting out the amount of energy we, that we do and, right. and education all the time, we got to have something else to do for fun.
0: But I got to know, like I know, I, you know, I know nothing about um, Montana and nature and all that stuff because in, in Houston, like it's hot year round. So in terms of water scan, how often, like how many months out of the year is it even tolerable?
1: Well, that's a good question. Well, you have all these series of uh, things that you do to help make it more tolerable. So, Obviously, uh, beverages might be one, sure. but uh, mostly we have uh, either a short wetsuit, long wetsuit, and even uh, I got a couple friends that have a have a dry suit. So it's completely they can go any time of the year they want to, as long as the river's not frozen over. Right now it's frozen over, so you can't get out there. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I I typically start in uh, the beginning of May, and we've went all the way to October 22nd before. So it's kind of a short season up here. Yeah. Uh, compared to down there uh but it is unbelievable uh up here because on the river uh you can find a different direction on the river and it'll be glass and uh that's the nice thing is you can always find a place to to water ski that's that's going to be good good for the boat yeah so
0: yeah so man when 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 you were growing up in uh montana and and you were going through school. What, what was that like for you? Did you, when, when, when you were in school, did it come easy? What, did you have supportive parents?
1: That's great. You know, a good question. Um, I was lucky enough to, my dad owned a business in town. He owned a tire business. So I was able to uh, learn how to do all different types of uh, combine, tractor, truck tires. Uh, but the other thing that was going on in my house was my mom was a teacher. And so we had this going battle all the way through middle school and high school about whether I was going to go into business and take over my dad's business or whether I was going to go into education and follow my mom. So I actually started University of Montana in Missoula, and I started in both. I started in both education uh, and in business. And uh, it didn't take long before I realized that education was my true passion, just from some of the people I connected with in uh, high school and connected with in college and realized that was the... That was the route that I was going to go on. And, uh, man, I just had to get away from Montana for a while to realize how much I do love Montana. So I did my student teaching in uh, Wasilla, uh, between Wasilla and Palmer, Alaska, and uh, taught summer school out there. And then uh, moved back to Montana and started teaching on Flathead Lake. And if you don't know anything about Flathead Lake, you've got to Google that place. That is probably one of the most top tourist place in montana it's a huge lake it's about 40 miles long um, full of californians right now unfortunately but uh there are uh a, it's, it's a great place to to vacation and so i started teaching in a brand new school it was built on the lake my classroom overlooked uh this flathead lake uh, i was only making 19,100 dollars, as compared to leaving alaska where i had a contract i, I gave up for um for over 40 grand out in the bush, uh, teaching and coaching basketball and decided I wanted to be back in Montana. And that's kind of where I have been ever since.
0: So man, when, because of your mom, before you even showed up in the classroom, you had a pretty good idea of what you're getting into.
1: You know, I did. Um, she had me into her classroom. We grew up in a very small town of about 1200 people called Fort Benton. Uh, it's the birthplace of Montana. They tell us. And, uh, it was uh, a great community to live in, and there was I graduated with forty kids in my high school, and uh, she had me into her classroom all the time and I, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to uh, be with kids.
0: What did she teach?
1: She taught uh, second grade, fifth grade uh, fourth grade mm-hmm. um, she was a traveling teacher when she taught in a different district and but for the most part, she taught, uh, actually kindergarten as well, but she taught for the most part second grade for over half her career.
0: And then when you got into the biz, was that where you started in uh, elementary?
1: I Yeah, I started second grade in Anchorage. Uh, mm-hmm. taught a long-term sub-job for uh, five months, and I, I could have taken over that job uh, for a lady that had unfortunately passed away in Anchorage. And uh, I chose to come back to uh, back to Montana and take a, take a pay cut of over half. It's
0: painful. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then when you came back in uh, Montana, what were you teaching there?
1: Uh, I came back and taught fifth grade and coached a lot of sports, coached basketball and track and um, uh, both boys and girls basketball. Actually there back then it was uh, two different uh, seasons at the time. Uh, Now, Sports in Montana's changed so both uh, basketball seasons are in the same season. So that and I ref basketball and uh worked for fishing game in uh spell as a boat safety officer. So kinda of did a like most teachers always have a, a, a second, third gig sometimes.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's so common nowadays. I mean, especially in some of the states that surround Texas, not so much in Texas, but in Oklahoma and uh, New Mexico and all those types in, in, in Louisiana, for sure. There's so many teachers that to this day are still hustling, you know, driving Uber as soon as they leave the school, you know, leaving school at five thirty six o'clock and, and, and doing a couple hours of Uber and um, and, of course, getting home and then trying to do family. Man, that, I mean, the, to, to this day, that teaching lifestyle is so rigorous.
1: Yeah, and I, I saw that for my parents right away. My mom spent a ton of time at, at school, and my dad's business, since he owned his own business, he had to be there all the time. And so I realized that growing up in a household where uh, work was our main way of life, and uh, that's what we did. And so that, that's kind of that work ethic has kind of kept with me from the first time I started. This is my 20th year of, uh, of education now.
0: You know when 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 you were teaching if if you're like me, <laughs> if you're like most people, when you first get into this business, it's really challenging and you're trying to figure out what to do and you're and you're just standing before these kids and you're trying to figure out how to keep them contained and teach them something. How many years into the business were you when you started feeling like, you know what, I might be able to get good at this?
1: I was, I was lucky to have some great people along the way. I had a great first uh, first couple principals at my school in Lakeside. It was a brand-new school that was on Flathead Lake. Uh, unfortunately, though, there wasn't any money for curriculum. And so uh, we didn't have much curriculum. We had to create our own. We had standards that we had, so we had to create our own curriculum. And I think as a brand-new teacher, that w- it could be overwhelming for someone to come into that. I think that was probably my, my favorite antidote that I tell about that first couple of years of teaching was finding curriculum to meet the standards. Um, cause I still have that philosophy to this day. Uh, my teachers right now, I, I talk to them about the fact that, yeah, we have a curriculum that's mandated that we have to teach, but ultimately we're responsible for those standards. And so finding the best materials for that is, is the most important thing you do as a teacher, uh, other than create relationships, you know, being able to find material that, that we can, um, meet those standards. So going back to that, uh, when I first started in uh, Lakeside Summers, Montana, we did not have a, a curriculum. And uh, we had standards from our Northwest Regional Educational um, Co-op that we were supposed to, uh, to meet. And um, I used novels and uh, we had um, a series of of older books that they use from a past curriculum, but most of the money that they had, uh, went into making sure that, uh, since we were growing so fast, we had enough money to pay for teachers, uh, that they could teach there and, uh, paying for the building. And so, uh, to say, man, to actually know what the hell I was doing, um, probably, Man, my third or fourth year into into school, did I ever start feeling like I knew kind of what I was doing? But I was lucky enough to have uh, some great mentors and great teachers along the way to help me out when I first started.
0: You know, of, of of all the professions on the planet, I think this is the one profession that is at the top of the list of most challenging to get the thing going and do it successfully right out of the gate. And and you know. When I you know when, when i 'm on the road in august and i 'm doing all that back to school the convocation and the big speaking events, and they celebrate first year teachers and people cheer for them, I love that, but the, the also the sad part for me is knowing that in just a matter of weeks, a lot of teachers are going to forget about those first year teachers because they 're caught up in their own thing man they 're caught up in school and they 're trying to and they 're and they're, and they're buried in, in in assessment and data and curriculum and trying to teach and we lose we, we lose sight of how important it is to provide great mentorship for those first year teachers because teaching you know I always say man teaching is the only profession it 's the only profession on the planet where we have the same exact professional expectations of a first day teacher as we do of a thirty year veteran, like you know we throw them in there and we expect the same results. I mean, it's crazy. And for me, you know, I know, I know some schools have, you know, they'll partner a first year teacher up with somebody in the building. But, me, but for me, like, I really believe in, in, in a longer term, deeper, more active mentoring program that, could, that might go on for the first two or three years to keep to, to keep them in the business. First of all, I mean, we lose 50% of teachers in the first five years, but also just to make sure they're comfortable and successful and they can help them see where they're being successful and help them identify where they can grow. It's critical.
1: You know, that's one thing my current school district has prided itself on is that professional development. We had a three-year program where, man, those first-year teachers get a full week of professional development before they ever set foot in there, learning about the curriculum, learning about all the different um, computer systems that we have that has been so exponential in the last couple of years uh, of expecting our teachers to do grading and uh, power school and and everything that uh, uh, even – the, getting a sub is all automated now. And so there's so many of those pieces that, that we're asking our teachers to do. It's, it's been, it's phenomenal to look at. One of the things I think that has changed my whole career was the fact that and I recommend this for principals. I don't know how many principals can do this, but uh, when I was 27, got my first principal job, um, and I wanted to get into a bigger district. And so I, uh, Current district I'm in, I had a hard time getting in as a principal. Um, Went to several interviews, and I had to go back to teaching. That was the hardest thing I probably that I've ever done. Is I went from being a principal for three years and go back to being a classroom teacher, and that was the hardest year of my career. Was knowing what I knew about what I expected my teachers to do in my old school and trying to do what I told them to do as a teacher the next year. And I haven't been in the classroom for three years. Uh, I I almost lost it. Honestly, I had had to bring in an instructional coach to help me out that first year to decide – You know, how am I going to be able to get fit my curriculum in that I'm required to teach? And on top of all the new things and nuances that this district has, as compared to my old district, didn't have. And it made me reflect on how we have our new teachers coming into our districts. And it's just we just think it's normal. This is what they have to know to be able to do that. Uh, But if you haven't been a principal or back to a teacher again, some of those things, uh, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes.
0: It really is. And also, you know, I think this, you know, another interesting perspective from this profession is that unlike a lot of other professions, this is a profession where people are oftentimes afraid to ask for help, where they're in the classroom and they can feel themselves struggling. And I think, I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, especially for a brand new teacher, number one, like they don't even know what to ask. Like they're so lost. You know, I, I, you know, I can remember being in college in my uh when i was like a freshman in college I was in philosophy and i remember sitting there staring at the professor and i had no idea what he's talking about to the point i had no idea what to ask you know and i, I think for some teachers on their first year they're that deep in the struggle where they don't even know what to ask in addition to that I think when 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 some veteran teachers stop by to ask how things are going, they're just kind of sociologically conditioned to say, "I'm oh, great, everything's awesome." No, it's fine. Rather than, "Oh my god, I'm struggling."
1: Yeah, um, we have always had instructional coaches in our district, and we've been working real hard on that uh, concept of what an instructional coach does. So many of our veteran teachers or master teachers find, or they see that an instructional coach is there to help the teachers that are either brand new or that are struggling. And In reality, we want them to be able to work with everybody. Uh, I got to be an instructional coach for one year, and um, I did work with some struggling teachers. But I also tried to connect with those top teachers, too, and say, hey, we got to keep that growth mindset to be able to to get better. Let's, Let's team together and show the rest of the school what we can do. And, uh, man, um, I'm still battling that in my own school right now is the fact that we have an instructional coach and let's, let's use them. There's so many different ideas that we can, we can use them for, but it's so hard for some of those teachers to say, um, well, one, to get out of all the stuff that they are currently doing, to be able to add someone else to their plate, to plan with, to teach with, yeah. I know that takes more time. But I have, to, I have to believe that in the end, it's going to make them better and hopefully more effective and efficient.
0: Yeah. You know, for a year, I was in, I was in a district and I was teaching. And what we decided to do is for half the day, I, I, I would teach. And then for the second half of the day, I would do some instructional coaching. And the way the principal asked me to do it, and she presented it to the entire faculty, she said, here's what we're going to do. We have a brand new assessment tool this year. And so Hal's going to come to your class. He is going to go through what he's been trained in in the same assessment that you're going to go through. He's going to fill out all the paperwork, take notes, give you ideas, and he's going to leave everything there. He's not going to take anything with him. I'll I'll, I'll never see it. He's never going to report to me. He's going to leave all the, all, all the information just to help there. And so make sure you send him an email and sign up and get on the list and he'll come to your class. And nobody, we had 300 teachers, not one of them. You know, one, I think it's really hard to ask for help, but also uh, two, I think there was really some little bit of suspicion that like I was really in cahoots with the principal, and I was going to go report back and what I was seeing in the classroom when, when in fact the, the whole design of it was to, to for that not to happen.
1: Right, right, yeah, they feel like you're being evaluatory, but in reality, uh, that that wasn't your job. We've really spent a lot of time with Jim Knights. Um, philosophy on um, coaching and that's that's helped out a little bit but we still need to move past the fact that 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 coach is uh, is not there just for this, the teachers that um, aren't doing well or are brand new but they're there to help move everybody and that, that's going to be difficult I think as we go forward because right now I wish we had a coach for every single school and that's how much I believe in them uh, right now, our coach is only in our district. Uh, we have one coach for every four or five elementaries, mm. which really spreads them thin.
0: Yeah, that is that's a that's a that's a huge number of teachers to trying to help and 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 find because you know you know at that point you know it, it seems like you'll spend a lot of time working with those who are struggling when the other ninety percent that are doing well, but they could still use the, you know, the help and the support as well. When, 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 and, and, when, when you went back to teach in those three years, when you became a principal and your first year for the second time, when we did I should ask you that when you were teaching that second time and then went back to be a principal, did you go back and be a building principal again or did you start as an assistant?
1: Uh, yeah. So I, I went from uh, being a principal in a small, um, school of uh, man 212 kids k through 12. so it was a k-12 principal and then i went into a big district uh we only had, in that small district, uh, yeah, 212 kids. In a big district, the one I went into had has, the one I'm currently in is 10,500 kids about. Yep. So completely different atmosphere and number of people. So I went in and taught fifth grade for three years, and I was an instructional coach for one year. And then I went straight into an elementary principal job. We don't have assistants at the elementary level. So uh, we have 15 elementaries. Uh, they all range from 250 to 500 kids almost. And so um, than that, then we have two middle schools and um, two high schools and one alternative high school and uh, those those get to be pretty big. Um, Obviously, Montana is not very big itself, but our high schools are uh, anywhere from 13, well, 12 to 13,000 kids. And those are those are two of the biggest high schools in our state. So, yeah.
0: When you showed up um, on the on on campus to be the building principal there at the elementary school where you're at now, and you came in, um, uh, did did those few years that you spent teaching in the district? Do you feel like those help you to be a better principal?
1: I, tremendously, especially the instruction and coaching piece. I got to go into several different schools. I was in seven or eight schools, but I actually visited all fifteen of the elementary's. Um, but going back and teaching and actually. Um, doing what I said I was going to do as a principal and putting it into practice and seeing how easy it was, man, it gave me a a lot of, Empathy and compassion for those new teachers coming in, um, especially as soon as I transitioned into that into that principal job, uh, I feel like I'm more of a teacher's principal. Uh, to say that, to say the least, that I understand a little bit more that um, what we're asking, it, we keep asking teachers to do more and more and more, but we have to figure out what are some things we can take off their plate as well. Um, and that's really helped, I guess, build our. Culture of our schools—the fact that if I'm going to ask you to do something um, as a building principal, then what are we going to change our priorities on before? Because you already have a lot going on in your classroom in our school. Uh, but what can we do to uh, alleviate some of the stress if we do change our priorities or add something new to our plate?
0: You know what, man? I think I, I think that when in, in terms of leadership, it's critical. I mean, ninety-nine percent of the time, it's absolutely necessary that those teachers know that you've been there, like you've been there, you've been in the trenches, you've done it. A lot of times, when I see and I find principals that are really struggling, oftentimes, man, they've they've only been in you know in the classroom maybe three or four years until they went into the administration, and in three or four years, you're just starting to figure things out. You know, you you really I mean for me and for most people I see there's some crazy natural talented people out there, but for most people, you know it takes it takes a number of years to really start figuring this teaching thing out and to go through so to, to you know to get the wisdom of experience. And I yeah, think and being you failure,
1: know,
0: yeah, I was, I was about to say you know just 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 being a principal that has that experience. I mean that is, I mean gives you so much credibility.
1: Right, and not being afraid to say I'm wrong or that I made a mistake or um, not shying away from failure. I mean, we, we talk about that with our students all the time, but are we practicing that as adults? Because, man, if we can figure out a little through humiliation, um, this isn't working. What yeah. can we do differently? I, I think we can take it a lot further. So many people are afraid of failure, especially the teacher level. It, it's okay. It's okay to try something. I, I tell teachers all the time, um, try it out, see if it works. If it doesn't work, we can always change it. Um, but so many teachers are afraid of that failure piece. And unfortunately that carries right down into what they're you know talking with their students about too. Students have to understand it's all right to fail as well.
0: You know, the one of the last principals I worked for, his name was Alan Meek. And I remember in my interview once he, uh, once we kind of sealed the deal, and it was a good fit for me. It was a good fit for him. The very last thing he told me before I left the inter- interview was, he said, "All right, this school year, when you're putting together all these all these mentoring programs and leadership stuff that I want you to do." I would much rather you have to sit here and apologize for taking it too far rather than coming in here and asking for permission of what you can and can't do. And like as a teacher in my style of teaching, that was so empowering knowing that he trusted me on that level to go out and just make the magic happen. And if I messed up, I messed up. I come admit it, say, I'm sorry. Let's move on.
1: You bring up one key word that I think that both of us kind of agree on. You talked about empower. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, Um, If I do go forward in this in my next endeavors here is the ability to empower teachers Um, the way you empower them, I think, is is through that relationship piece and that empathy and understanding that this is a tough job. And unfortunately society doesn't understand, I think some pieces of the fact that um, kids have changed. I mean, I keep thinking back to the way my principal was when I was in school, Uh, when I got, I mean, we still had corporal punishment. I I got swatted a couple of times when I was in elementary. I still remember that. Uh, But the situations that they dealt with back then are completely different from the situations I did. uh, We deal with today. Today I, I took a foster kid um, who has been in quite a bit of trouble in his old school. And in this school, I took a foster kid today, asked, um, his foster mom, if I can take him to the eye doctor, I was going to get my contacts. Uh, I got new contacts and, uh, I'm not wearing them tonight. Should be wearing them. Uh, anyway, I took him and I got new frames for his glasses. Uh, his brother and him got into a fight and his brother punched him and broke his glasses. Or uh, they're wrestling around. And, um, so I took him and we went to the uh, eye doctor today. And I, I sat during school. I sat for half an hour to get his frames fixed with them. Yeah. And I've never, I've never been, I mean, he hugged me when we got back to school. He's a fifth grader, one of the toughest kids I have. He hugged me and, and said, thank you. And man, I, I don't know a better profession that, that where we can do that, And, uh, you know, going back to that empower piece, but I want teachers to see that I want teachers to understand that we can make a difference that what we do with our kids. Uh, is important and that passion uh, you talk about it a lot but that passion that we have uh, we have to show that as as leaders but how we have to show that as as teachers too and by giving them the, the, the ability to empower them to do that same thing they can then empower their kids uh, to be able to do and pass and pay it forward with what they're doing
0: you know, earlier today when I was at the gym, I was thinking about um, doing this podcast, recording with you. And on the gym, on the wall, it has this huge painted saying. It says, Ego is the Enemy. And I thought, you know what? In 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 your style of leadership where where you pride yourself on trusting and empowering teachers to be passionate and do the work of a teacher – I, I think one thing it's key in that style of leadership. And the reason it, it it works is because like there's at the top level of leadership, there's no ego involved, you know, oftentimes when we have the that, you know, that more of a, a militant style of leadership, you know, where I, you know, you, you, because I said, so that's why you do what I tell you to do. You know, that whole thing, there's so much ego behind it, but really the most effective leadership on campuses everywhere that I see is, is that leader that is, you know, is willing to make a mistake themselves. They, they are a walking talking example and they model what they want to see from their teachers in their, in, in, in how they work with their students and their teachers.
1: Yeah. um, In studying John Gordon in the last couple of years here, watching what he does, he talks about this servant leadership piece and I've really gotten into learning more about servant leadership and how you model what you preach. And, uh, putting yourself second all the time. But um, I even see that as a principle, but I, I think it, it's, it's powerful. I think we could be as, as a superintendent too with that servant leadership piece of letting your staff know I'm here to help serve you.
0: You know, all, all the way through education, I think that's so, like that. It's such a, a shift for most um, leadership models because the traditional leadership model in education. Is this us versus them thing where it's us kids versus those teachers and those teachers versus those kids and those people at the central office and the people at the central office versus those schools and those kids and those teachers, you know, rather than this whole school family. And I think that really is the key, man, is if if everybody really at, at every leadership position, whether it's in terms of classroom leadership, school leadership, district leadership, all really thought of it in terms of serving those people, it changes everything.
1: We have a huge oh, – there's my dog listening to your dog.
0: That's so funny. <laughs>
1: uh, we have a uh, hospital here. It's a, pretty, a huge hospital, probably one of the biggest ones in Montana. Uh, I'm only a couple blocks away from it. But unfortunately, my parents have both been in the hospital quite a bit in and out. And one of the signs they have in the hallway uh, – and it's not so much for public to see, but it's for their employees to see. It gives a protocol, like a three-step protocol when you meet someone else that's an employee in the hospital. You look up, you acknowledge them, it is saying hi, and uh, you, well, basically acknowledge them. That when you walk by them, you don't just have your head down, you're not into your phone, you don't ignore them. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a weird concept i guess but powerful i mean they have they have thousands of people that work in this hospital right next to us here and i'm like that's the same thing in school i mean if i sit and watch my hallway do teachers acknowledge each other do they acknowledge kids down the hallway do they acknowledge me can i walk by an employee and have their head down and and can they get away with not saying hi to me going down the hallway or not making You know, some type of acknowledgement. And I I think that piece at the lowest level has really changed, I think, my thoughts on um, how we treat each other, how we create that culture in, in a school.
0: Yeah, man, it's everything, you know. And um, I visit—I mean, I, I visit hundreds and hundreds of campuses. And when I—that's that, probably the main thing that I see in terms of really effective leadership—is when I'm on campus, and and that culture of that campus is exciting and it's fun, and and people—I mean, they they love their school family. It's that principal. They know everybody's name. They know everybody's mom's name. They know they, they, there's hugs everywhere, you know, in, in, but on, on the same, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, when I'm on a campus where things are struggling, I mean, it's, it's like a hundred percent of the time I'll be standing in the hallway with the principal, a teacher walks by, kids walk by, two more teachers walk by and counselor walks by kids. walk. <laughs> nobody says a word to anybody. And like that one thing, like just acknowledging your family member in the hallway and, and letting you know like how much you care about them and love that they're here for their kids and, and love that you get to see those kids on that day. Just anything, the high five, the fist bump, whatever is so meaningful
1: yeah um, <laughs> we just worked on classroom management at our last uh, professional learning community time in our school, and one of the things that I came up with is a, is a top ten list of strategies or ideas that I came up with, and I put on one of my strategies the the ten by ten by ten there you go I thought that is you know we, we talk about the ten by two all the time ten by two is ten days straight with uh, two minutes of uh, conversation and uh, Man, your 10 by 10 by 10 is, is even more powerful. I got to let my dog out or he's going to kill me here. Hold
0: on. All right, cool. And while he's doing that, man, what I'm going to uh, explain the 10 by 10 by 10. So what he's referring to is there's this initiative that oftentimes in my work with schools, you know, my, when, when, I, when I work at the school, my, my whole goal is to have an immediate impact that's sustainable. Because, you know, people want results, of course, and that's why they hire me. So I want to get immediate results. But more than that, I want it to last and so there's, I mean, I probably have like, I don't know, 15 or 20 really fun things that we can do to shift the culture of a school immediately on that day. And and one of the things we do is is, is this initiative called 10 by 10 by 10. And what we do is we ask 10, we, we ask every adult on campus, every adult, teacher, counselor, food service worker, custodian, everybody to, to meet with 10, 10 kids for 10 seconds, 10 positive seconds before 10 a.m., and of course, for classroom teachers, the little string attached is, it's not your kids; it's the other kids, the kids that aren't in your class. They're not in your class yet, or if you had it, you haven't had them yet, or if you already had them and now they're on, they're on to the next grade, the next level. Ten kids for ten seconds before ten a.m. Because if you calculate how many how many adults we have on a on a traditional campus. And how many kids we can cover them all? So for you on your campus at your elementary, how many kids do you have?
1: Four hundred and ten.
0: And then if you count up every teacher, every counselor, every adult that's working there, how many adults do you have, approximately? Uh,
1: some days we have fifty adults in the school.
0: Yeah, there you go. We we, we got we got we got all four hundred and ten covered, ten by ten by ten, and it's powerful. I mean, and and it, it, like within a day, you can step onto that campus. And you know how it is. I mean, you've, you've been in enough schools. You know how we, you can walk into a school and you can feel the vibe of the school. You know, just feeling the vibe of the school, just feeling that feeling of standing right there in the doorway when you walk in, it's, it's a completely different place within 24 hours.
1: I got to be a, an instructional coach for a year where I worked in several schools, and I think you speak to that pretty well. You get to get around the United States and probably further than that. But um, walking into a school, you can tell within the first 10 minutes of, of a school's culture. I actually uh, wrote an article on that piece of it. Um, about what are some of the things can you tell from from communication uh, in that first 10 minutes of walking into a school? Um, are adults talking to each other? Is there people laughing? Is Are adults talking to kids? Are kids talking to adults? Are adults addressing um, community members that walk in those front doors right away? Can you have an adult that walks in the front door and walks down the hallway without anyone even acknowledging them? Yeah, um, yeah Some of that stuff's safety, but other, the rest of that stuff's culture. I mean, we have to be uh, acknowledging anyone and everyone as we are walking down those hallways just so uh, we can gauge, you know, is this a place where I want my kid to, to work and learn?
0: Yeah, you know, when I mean, I have so many stories of just amazing places. I mean, one right down the road is years ago. When I went to Magnolia High School for the first time, and my pal Springer, Jeff Springer, was the principal back then. He's retired now, or he's repurposed. He doesn't say retired; he's repurposed now. And um, when when I walked onto his campus, I walked through the front doors, and I, I didn't get I didn't get fifteen feet, and some kid walks up to me, "Hey, my name is so and so." I'm on the student council here. Welcome to Magnolia high school. What brings you here today? And it was, it's like so shocking. Like you don't even know how to respond. He's shaking my hand. I'm trying to find what, who are you? Like what? Cause it's so unlike anything you've ever experienced, but that's the culture of the school, man. And like everywhere you look in that school, those are the, t- like that is just the tip of the iceberg of what's happening Everywhere. There's, there's another school I visited, and um, we worked for, – for those in, in that school, one of the primary things we were working on was shifting away from teachers, um, you know, having a rules-based management model in the classroom and, and shifting over to a values-based leadership model. And we're talking about core leaders, uh, uh, core leadership values and core values that they want to have in their classroom. And as a school, they came up with their their five pillars of culture. And of course, inside the school, they had these five giant pillars, and they painted them white, and then they and, and then and then they painted those values. It was like integrity and courage and, all, and commitment, and, the, the, and 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 then they had every kid in the school take a sharpie and sign the pillar. Then, as a guest, when I walked on campus, they had a kid who met me at the door, took me to each one of the five pillars, and and explained the and explained that value in their culture, and then I and then I signed it. You know, getting committed to the values of their family and their school that kind of stuff is everywhere man it's It's amazing what's going on around the country.
1: I think that's a true test right there we We unfortunately have a lot of people out there that uh, can speak and say that they have they have that going on, but I think you bring up a good fact can you walk up to any kid in the school and can they talk to you about it? Can you walk up to any staff member and can, can they talk about it? Can they talk about what the, what the teachers and what the principal believe in and what the, what the students believe in Um, this year? Our, we have a theme every year we do our our theme this year is grit. And so we're trying to find grit in everything that we do and uh, defining it. Uh, Every grade level has created a rubric for what grit looks like at their grade level and of different from every other grade level. And then we, then we speak to it. We have a song that goes with uh, uh, our grit and we use it at our assemblies, start an assembly or finish an assembly. And uh, those are the type of things that I think um, some of those those schools that I think if they want something tangible, um, go up and ask randomly 10 kids can, can 10 kids, how many out of 10 kids can, can speak to what you believe in as a school? Can they talk about grit? Uh, can nine out of 10 kids define grit or give you examples of what it looks like? Uh, I think though, those type of things, I think make it more tangible for people because I think one of the things you talked about last time we talked was, um, passion. And can I put passion on, um, uh, on a spreadsheet right. and yeah, no, you can't, you can't put it on there, but what you can do is some things like this random data tracking, where you might go talk to 10 people or you have someone from the community come in and talk to 10 people. And can they speak to it? That might tell you a little bit more about how much ingrained your school is into that, into those concepts.
0: It's true, man. What, um, oh, one of my favorite local principal, actually she's one of my favorite principals in the nation, Heather Patterson here at Polly Ryan middle school, in uh, just southwest of Houston, and it's a sixth—it's a sixth grade school, all sixth graders, and and um, she's about I think she's about seven eight hundred of them. And every time I go there and we're visiting classes, she always—I mean, she tells me straight up: make sure you ask a kid what what's going on, because I mean that is a, such a huge part of their school culture. Is if a kid doesn't—if a kid can't tell you what's happening, it ain't happening. And I think what you talk about, you know, not just academically, but also, man, I I mean, I believe that to be true culturally across campus wide. So, yeah, in in the social studies class, I walk in, ask a kid what's happening. But, you know, what I wonder is when you walk into schools and you see a kid in sitting there in the cafeteria and say, hey, man, describe your school family to me. What's it like here? Can they really articulate what the most valuable thing is? in terms of that school leader and the, and, 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 and the mission of that school.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. Uh, you know, up here it's, and I, I see you doing the same thing, I guess, in talking with you. Um, it's kind of like a magnet idea, but you kind of gravitate towards those schools, those leaders, uh, be, because they share some of the same ideals that you do. Uh, I have a, I have, a, I have a buddy who is in my alma mater, and, and he's a superintendent and halftime principal. You can do that in Montana. And so he's, uh, he's, uh, his name is Jory Thompson out in Fort Benton. And one of the things that I, I did uh, with my student council just a couple weeks ago was we went into his school, and we um, his student council met with mine, and we went around and did walkthroughs through the classrooms to find grit. And his school, his whole district, their whole theme this year is grit, and so is ours. So we teamed together, and uh, he's going to come to Great Falls here soon and do the same thing. But we walked through all his classrooms, looked for students that were showing grit, look for teachers that were showing grit, and then we met back and t- went met back and talked about the things that we saw, um, and it, it, it was powerful to see to hear some of those kids talk about other kids showing grit in someone else's school. And it was like this level of respect that um, we didn't have. We didn't know these kids. It was the first time we ever met any of those kids, but um, they hit it off right away. And it was amazing in one day when we had um, something focused like that uh, to center around how close they got within five hours of being together. And so, like you, you mentioned um, some different principles in your area. Uh, I, I am gravitated towards those uh, principles, and I, I, have, you know, quite a few in my own district here, out of 15 schools, that I, I, I gravitate towards that has some of that same um, philosophy, and they can create some unbelievable culture. Uh, it's it, my, I guess, bigger idea is how do we spread that passion? And um, man, that's how I, I got on with you right away is that some of those strategies that you were using. Uh, I'd love to use, too, to, to help spread that that passion piece, to let people know that um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't take much. You just have to change um, your viewpoint, the words you use, and the actions that you have. We all work a hell of a lot of hours, but what we do in those hours is the most important piece. What do you prioritize the most? And I, I'm guessing you might say the same thing, that Um, relationships are probably number one. Uh, it's getting out there with, with, uh, with people. Uh, my principal, when I grew up, stayed in the, stayed in his office. He didn't, he didn't leave much. I knew where he was at. My staff has no clue where I'm at. I am out and about all over the place.
0: Yeah. You know, I think you're right. You know, when, when we talk about those, those types of of values of, of culture that we have in our school family, you know, you can't always put it on a spreadsheet, but what I love is the fact that you guys go out looking for it. Like grit is, 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 is a priority. Let's go out and look for examples of it because if you're not there out there looking for it, you're not going to find it. And then you're not really going to know, are we living up to that mission that we started with at the beginning of the year, man, that's so important.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I just wish that there were more people like that. I guess um, I, I, I I'm lucky to work with who who I work with in my own district because I believe they have this, some of the same ideals with me. But um, I've been lucky enough to be uh, at a statewide level, and I would love to see more of that across across our state across. Um, the nation, I guess, because I feel education's taken such a big hit. Ninety-five percent of what we do every day is stuff that needs to be talked about, that we need to celebrate and let society know that education, public education, um, has it going on. And I, 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 I truly believe that. Even in some of our most difficult schools, we have some of the most ingrained teachers that are connecting with kids at, at levels that I may never get out even at my own school. I was lucky enough this year to, um, um, and I say lucky enough, even though it was one of our most difficult schools in our district, I was able to go over to this school and help support while their principal had health issues. And um, I, I dealt with more things in my two weeks there than I dealt with probably the whole year at my own school. And I watched those teachers work so hard with those kids and the relationships they had. They knew exactly who each kid connected with and they were able to help support and intervene when things happened right away and I I was amazed to watch that and I didn't have a relationship with any of those kids I was only coming over to help support as an administrator while their administrator was gone and um man it it made me it it totally changed my viewpoint um I I think a little bit on the fact that we have to give those teachers um great leadership and when they have great leadership um, man they they can thrive even in those most difficult schools
0: you know man of all the things i see and that that really is one of the things that i never get i never get used to it because it's so shockingly beautiful is i can find schools on the texas mexico border or in you know inner city schools in downtown dallas or in 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 the midwest in the appalachian mountains i mean it there are challenging like unbelievably challenging schools and there are these heroic Classroom leaders, teachers, principals, and they're absolutely killing it. Teaching and building relationships and making a lifelong impact on the lives of their kids. And it's happening everywhere. And I think you're right. Of all the like of all the stuff that we're not good at, we're not good at telling the story. We're not good at letting people know these magical moments that are happening every day. And I think the reason is is because as educators, we're numb to it. Like we see it all day long. We see it every day. And in our mind, like we, we we get to a point where we don't recognize it as a magical moment, but it is like anybody else that's that, that isn't around it. And they, you know, they don't see it every day. They would be shocked by how amazing these moments are for kids.
1: My, um, my wife's job, she's she's a fifth grade teacher now, but she used to be a, like a behavior coach. Um, behavior interventionist and her whole job was to help support kids in her school but her whole goal was to get kids back into class and so she tracked the number of minutes all the time that it took to go from a complete meltdown back into learning and man i mean she's a she's a nationally board certified teacher she she's unbelievable teacher as compared as compared to me, not that I want to compare, but I just know that I just know that I've learned so much from her and I'm lucky to have her as my wife, but um, just her ability to take a kid from complete meltdown to back in the classroom and she tracks it over the year to the fact that she can get a kid. You know, there sometimes in in five to eight minutes, um, and it's 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 the words, it's the actions, but more than that, it's it's that relationship that she had with with each of those kids. She totally misses her job. That job got cut recently because of budget uh, crunch. Uh, and so she's back into the classroom again. She's still doing a lot of that same stuff that she used, but that was her favorite job ever. And I and the stories she came home with were the same ones that I was using from as a principal standpoint, um, with some of the things that she dealt with. And she's able to get them back in. She was a classroom, basically a classroom teacher, being able to help them get back into the classroom. And I think. The, that's a, that's a piece of, there's, there's those special people out there. There isn't many people out there like that, that, that want to do that. It's such a high turnover rate for our special ed uh, teachers and for any big, anyone that works with uh, those extreme behaviors. Um, I, I just wish we had, we could grow those people so much more because they have that love of learning, but and more importantly, they love kids and they think that they, they you know, they, they,
0: they can change their lives. Yeah, man. Let me ask you a question. When you were when you got when when you came into the principal position, you know I know one thing that we just we we just don't do a good job at is really um, developing leaders in education. You know, if to, if you think about it, to run the operation of a high school, we'll say, like on, let's say let's say you got a couple thousand kids in a school, a couple hundred staff, you know, and faculty members. To run with like millions of dollars in budget, and we got food services. We provide transportation. We have healthcare on campus. If you think like in the corporate world, how much leadership training would go into preparing somebody for that position? They would be in all kinds of leadership positions, moving up, moving up, moving up for decades to get to that level. But in education, it's just a matter of years, and next, and actually, you know, you're the principal, and it's really up to you to go out and find great leadership education and so what so where so where did you begin that journey was it with books or were you you watching ted talks or talking to co-workers finding mentors
1: i think the biggest thing was finding mentors i was lucky enough to have a a principal in in, um, lakeside his name is john theese he's he's still a principal there Um, he's been in education he's um, pretty close to probably four years now of education and he and I still talk. Uh, he was one of my first principals, but uh, the fact, one of the things that I loved about him was the fact that um, he was so calm in the midst of, of chaos. And when I was a young punk teacher, 22, 23 years old, that just, Boiled me. I didn't know how to handle some of that. I, I would get just as mad sometimes as as the kid did, and realize that the kid got even more mad because I was getting mad. And I, I, I had to really do a lot of experimentation with uh, behavior management, and uh, watching him and him mentoring me, and on how to how to talk to kids calmly, and the fact that the kid, it didn't matter how big the consequence was, is the fact that the kid got a consequence uh, for something that happened, and. How we reteach uh, a student um, that really made to this principal job than I first thought, and I thought, well, man, I I could do that. I think I think mm-hmm. I'd like to have more of an impact classroom and have more of an impact across the, across the school. And so actually my first job uh, as a principal was when I was 27 years old. Um, I had one other teacher that was uh, just as young as me, or I think she was a little bit younger than me, but all the rest of them were, um, you know, a decade, if not two decades into education more than, more than I was. And so I had to learn real quickly coming in as a young punk that I need to figure out relationships right away and learn the culture of a school. And how can I create relationships with kids, especially when those older teachers started sending me kids that they kicked out of class and why were they sending them to me? And how could I keep them in class? Or how could I uh, help support them with the relationship with that, uh, with that teacher um, man it was it was by total um, experiment and fail that, that I did that, and I was lucky enough to have us have a superintendent that um, he was only half time and I was a principal but I, I got put in the role of superintendent quite a bit even as a young young guy in my uh, late 20s um, because when he was gone i 'd have to do a lot of the um, not only computer work, but a lot of uh, a lot of decisions that that had to be made from from that level uh, as well. And I was lucky that he allowed me to do that, and so he really empowered me to help him with his job, but empowered me to be able to to take that leadership role. So I think going back to your question, um, I think it, it, to to grow leaders. Um, we have to find people that have some of the characteristics that that they can lead. And we start giving them jobs and empowering them to be able to to take stuff on. Now, I'm not saying that we push all of our work to somebody else and say, hey, take it over. Uh, but we empower them by helping create this mutual respect between you and that person, but mutual respect between them and the rest of the school that, man, they do have maybe some expertise in an area that that I can learn from. And then you start tapping all those different staff members in your school and different leadership areas. And before long, man, you've empowered your staff. So I have people that I I send people to, to look at with classroom management, engagement strategies, uh, with uh, active participation techniques, with um, uh, relationships, with uh, tone of voice. Um, uh, So, you know, those are the, some of my go-to people that I, I put people in. And then on top of it, uh, we get tons of, um, we have two different colleges in our town and uh, we have tons of kids that come to get their practicums done. And so I'm pushing those practicum teachers into those classrooms now uh, to, to, to watch that go on. And that also is a, is a part of empowering and paying it forward. Uh, my sister has just retired from teaching for 30 some years, just recently here. And uh, we went back over her career and she had, out of her 30 years, 30 some years of teaching, she had over 25 years where she had a student teacher. Who does that? Right. And, she, and she felt like, that's just part of my job. I need to pay it forward. I'm like, that is the ultimate, ultimate servant leadership kind of um, piece that I, that I want to instill in my own teachers is the fact that um, I can't lead if I can't empower because the way I lead I need to be able to empower those teachers to be able to take on more responsibilities but they also need to be able to um, have some of those capabilities where they can lead and I, I love that love that piece of it uh, I've just recently I've for the last couple of years, I've only had like maybe two designees in my school when I'm gone. These two designees take over when I'm gone. I've now increased that. I have um, four, four, if not sometimes I have five people that I kind of rotate some of that leadership through. And some younger people I've started to add into that leadership role as well because they they have those capabilities and letting them know, wow, the way you talk to people, the way you talk with parents, um, you have you have those capabilities to do this. You can do this. And so even if they don't believe that, um, man, just getting that reiteration and pointing that out to them, um, helps empower them.
0: Yeah. So right now as you're, uh, you know, growing, still growing and maturing as a leader and, and still learning, what, what would you say right now is your, um, what's your area of focus in terms of leadership? What are you excited about? What are you looking into? What are you learning about?
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, uh i look back at our goals that we've had for the last eight years i just talked with staff about this um one of the goals i I look back i I don't know if it was done purposeful or not but every year one of our top three goals has been culture and i in in talking with you more and talking with this with some other people that i've been talking with about school culture um i don't think you can you can ever stop you have to continue coming up with new and creative ways, I think, to inspire, empower, and create that passion uh, with people. So uh, I'm going to keep doing that piece of it. Um, As I move in the next endeavors that I'm looking at, i got to continue to keep working on Montana Finance for uh, budgeting. I think that's an area that uh, I I have read a lot about. I've um, taken classes, courses on, college-level courses, got my superintendent endorsement uh, for that. Uh, but I, I I feel like we got to be more creative with how we budget. Uh, we're we're struggling in Montana with the uh, with funding. If you look at where we sit with our salaries, you look at uh, where we sit with how much of our state allocates towards um, towards the education of each kid. I, I think we have some areas of improvement, and I think we need to figure out how we can empower others to see that too. And in our legislative session coming up, figure out how we can get more funding for, for our students. And so those are some, I think getting a bigger impact of not just me and my school, me and my district, but what can we do statewide to help, help look at that?
0: You know, one of the challenges that I have with, um, with what I do on a professional level is man, like I miss the kids. I miss the classroom. And but I always have to remind myself that with what I do now is I travel around the nation and I you now have this honor and privilege of standing before teachers and and delivering the message and making them better professionally and personally and more passionate and I have to keep reminding myself that I'm having an exponential impact now rather than it's just me and my kids in my class. I'm having a, able to have an impact through those teachers exponentially with all their kids and all those classes around the nation. And I think that's the same thing for th- where you're at in terms of, of leadership is as you move forward and take whatever next steps may come, you know, it, we, we lose a little bit of a connection with those kids, but, but now we have more of an exponential impact as we, as we start leading districts and other schools and things like that. Yeah, that's,
1: that's exactly where I'm at. Um, other piece I want to, continue to keep working on, on top of uh, finance and school culture is, is to continue working on um, relationships and figuring out how I can be impactful with, with, uh, with relationships, not only with, with um, school employees, but with uh, the community. If we worked the last two years on how we can not only get community members and parents to be participating in our class in Our schools, but how, how how can we engage them more? So it's just a whole different level of 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 school um, participation, the ability to get them into our schools or to get our kids out into our community. So we've been doing some um, some kind of fun stuff. Actually, one piece I got out of Texas, I can't remember which district to pull it from, but it's called Read It Forward. And it was just a project we did a couple of years ago with our student council. We raised a whole bunch of money, bought a whole bunch of books, actually People Cat, some of my favorite books a couple of years ago, and we put it into a whole bunch of local businesses and uh, put it on, on our coffee tables or put it on, um, like in Starbucks or put it in, um, you know, crazy places where you think, well, someone's going to come and steal it. Well, we put inside of it a little note that said, take this book home, read it, sign it, bring it back to one of these 15 different businesses and then read it forward. And so we tried to calculate the impact that we had in our local community of of how many different times we could get this book to travel around into different families in our, in our area. And I, I got that from someone in Texas had done that, but um, I kind of put my own kind of um, – uh, taste to it and and it it was fun kids loved it we got to go meet with all the all the business leaders and ask them uh with a with a letter we had to shake hands and introduce ourselves and talk to business leaders and ask can we put this in your in your in your business and so we're trying to create and find other ways that we can get our kids out in the community to get them to see that, that our school is is interconnected to all these businesses as well
0: you know man like that's that's what i call the the buzz about schools you know when when it you know when when I, when I when i when i'm on a campus and the only thing they're doing is the teaching and the learning I mean, I guess that's okay, but there's no buzz to the school. There's no hum to it. There's no vibration or excitement to it. What it is, it's when you have those programs like that and, and we're constantly, something's going on. We have this going on. The next thing that starts we're raising money for that. And there's, a, and we have a community car wash and it's all those little things that really keeps the buzz about the school and the place ignited and kids are engaged and people are loving it. Yeah. Uh,
1: one of my other favorite ones we started, was actually did a lot of work, um, studying Ron Clark and he does this contest every year called the amazing shake. And so we took that concept on in our, in our school this last year and the amazing shake is uh, we kind of adopted it, adapted it and put our own taste on it. Like I talked about the last project, but um, students have to be able to uh, introduce themselves sh- have a, a firm handshake and, and start a two minute conversation with somebody and so we practice in the school and then we find our top kids in the, in the grade levels. And then we have a contest we bring in a whole bunch of our local leaders. Last year we had um, some lawyers, an author, a uh, uh, mayor, you know, uh, some of these business leaders from, from our, from our city. And uh, they had to judge our students on, on those characteristics. We created a, a rubric and we got down to our um, number one amazing shake group. Um, uh, person. And it was, it was powerful. Kids loved it. Uh, it was, it was kind of stressful a little bit, but Holy cow for, you know, the whole rest of the year, we had people that were introducing themselves uh, to community members or even to parents that came into the school, uh, without even, without even me saying anything, they go up and shake hands with someone and introduce themselves. So that skill kind of carried over and, um, you know, parents liked it a lot, but, uh, business leaders, have people calling already this year asking, Hey, when are you do an amazing shake and can we be part of it? And I'm like, yep, we're getting in. And so this year, I think we're going to add, we're going to have so many people that want to be part of it. We're going to add like a second level to here's the first level. Now we're going to, you know, get it down to a lower number and here's a second level. Yeah. And so I, I, that, that that stuff is fun to me.
0: Man, how many articles have you written? I see it posted I, on this site.
1: Oh, uh, between that and uh, I wrote for uh, daily five um, for a while. And I, I write for another local um, education um, blog. Um, I don't know, probably about a hundred or so. I just started a couple years ago.
0: When, when are you going to do the book? <laughs> uh,
1: I have a, I have a children's book that, that should be out. It's um, should be out. Holy cow. Uh, it's to the publisher. Now it's a subsidiary of Simon Schuster called archway. Uh-huh. Um, I have a local buddy who is, uh, his, his name is Ray Kelly, he's an unbelievable um, uh, illustrator, and he has his own comic strip, spitewall.com. Anyway, um, he did all the illustrations for me, and we have done this 18 month journey right now of creating a book about a, a student. It's called uh, Benjamin's Visit to Principal Reed's Office again so it's about a kid that continues to go to the principal's office and this principal continues to do new and strange stuff to be able to get this kid to uh, obviously to get him back into class doing his job to learn something from it so it's got a list of we have about 16 different strategies in the book um that the principal uses with the kid but the the cool thing is that parents can use it teachers can use it principals can use it and kids can read the book and understand it and, and it's about social emotional learning and um, another big thing that we've been working on in our school as well, and uh, it, it, it goes to publishers. It's it's almost it's almost done, so I can't wait for that piece to come out for sure.
0: All right, here's your second book. I want you to do for me. You ready? All right, so because I, I when when it comes to teacher books, education books, I have a problem with commitment because I like I get the book and think, man, am I really going to read that whole thing? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the take your top fifty articles. And it'd be like, um, just like it it could be in any order. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to line up with a whole theme through the book, but just give me something where I can (laughs) read, I can go five pages and be done with it, put it away, then pick it up and go for the next five pages. That's my kind of book.
1: That'd be great. I keep talking about that. I got a, I got another friend that we, um, he has been to Ron Clark Academy. His name's Travis Nehmeyer. He's in uh, Billings, Montana in, um, bare tooth elementary. And so we're about um, 200 miles away from each other but we communicate all the time. He and I talk about uh, several, several different books that we want to write together because he and I have a similar, and you know him too, because he, he's talked to you online as well. Yep. Uh, and uh, he, um, he is a huge Ron Clark fan. He's got houses in his school, um, his kids love it. His teachers, uh, love it. And his culture is thriving. He's the type of guy that after, um, Christmas break, he has all his teachers, uh, line the hallways when those kids come back in, um, yeah. from Christmas break, all the teachers are cheering as those kids come in. It's just an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, I've actually been in his school. I've worked with his teachers. Um, I, I just love being there. Anyway, he and I've talked several times about different books that we want to write and, um, uh, that's exactly what we want to talk about is, is, you know, coming up with a, with a list of what are some of the top 50 things we can do for, uh, even, even school culture. Um, what can you do? And it's kind of the same thing you're, you're talking about. What are some things that we can put in place right away that are going to cause an impact in your school, um, between him, um, and I, when we bounce in ideas back and forth, we're always changing the ideas that we come up with and using them in e- each other's school and giving each other credit for it. But um, th- that piece would be fun for sure.
0: You know, man, that's, that's always my, um, my, my hesitation with books and writing is I can't tell you how many times, you know, over the last decade of being on the road where I had this amazing idea and I love it and I'm so passionate about it and I deliver it. But then something, ha- I meet some teacher who's doing my idea, but even better, and I think, and I think, man, thank goodness I didn't write that book because <laughs> this is yeah. so much better than what I was doing.
1: Well, that's exactly the thought I came up with. Uh, I met last year um, both Joe Sanfilippo and uh, uh, Cinesis, Tony Cinesis. Uh He, they wrote the book uh, "Hacking Leadership." Yep. And if, if you've if you've read that book, there's so many things in there that we've talked about tonight that um, that I have totally grasp onto and i love and when i met both those guys uh met tony back in washington dc and we actually had joe sam out here last year um to talk with our um talk with our whole state organization uh, about go crickets and if you don't know anything about go crickets uh you gotta you gotta get on and watch the watch this guy's uh, passion for his school as well it's, you know, it's a similar level that we're talking about with that passion piece, but um, that's the exact book I wanted to write. I mean, everything that I I wanted to put into a book, they had it. And and I I love it. And I, I I tell them that all the time. So, yeah.
0: Well, Hey man, listen, of all the, um, all the downside of social media, the one thing I love is meeting um, just like-minded people that are passionate and out there app in the trenches making a difference in lives of kids and teachers and um you are you are one of my favorites i've met in a long time so i man I appreciate you spending time with me and hanging out on on a Friday night with our dogs barking and uh and man i'm I'm so appreciative I can't thank you enough well thank you
1: yeah uh, you've been uh definitely someone just in this last year that has uh created a lot of buzz not only for me but for my for my teachers as well. I have teachers talking about the stuff that you have out all the time they see me reposting it and I wore my uh Teach Like a Rockstar t shirt yesterday. <laughs> That's right,
0: man. You got some so, actual teacher a rock star swag.
1: I had so many kids coming up to me asking, hey my dad loves rock stars <laughs> from the eighties. <laughs> It's exactly what we're going for. I I am from the 80s. Thank you. (laughs) But uh, I'd love to continue this um, conversation sometime and and keep it going. You have uh, unbelievable ideas and motivation and passion that I want to continue.
0: Awesome, brother. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, man.
1: All right. Have a good night.
0: All right. Take care, man.